0: Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. And we also have a great e learning library if you're looking for some learning and development for managers, supervisors, and HR professionals. Go check that out. Today's episode features Hereta McMullen. She's from Australia, and we had a great discussion around the HR profession. We talked about what HR can do to create a positive work environment and create a great employee experience. We talked about whether or not HR has an image problem and what we can do about it and how HR can enable people across the organization to create a great work environment and get things done. Enjoy today's episode with Heretta McMullen. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Brandon. I am so excited to be here. This is my first international podcast.
0: You know what's interesting is, I, you know, I've interviewed people. You're in Australia, right? I am. Yeah, so I've I've interviewed a few people in Australia, but I've never done it on a video call like this. It's always been audio. So this you're my first international video podcast.
1: Woohoo! I will take that. <laughs>
0: We're going to talk about HR today. As uh, we were kind of talking offline, this started as an HR podcast. In fact, it was called the HR for Small Business Podcast, and it's since changed into transforming workplace and and more holistic stuff about the workplace. But we were talking, HR's kind of got a bad rap in in some ways. Like I, I think a lot of people, and I don't know if it's employers or or employees that feel this way about the HR profession or function. But I'm curious why you think so many people, and maybe it's your inner circle too, but they think HR sucks. (laughs) Tell me about that.
1: Yes. Yes. So as a bit of a quick backstory, when I landed my first HR job as an HR coordinator, I was out for drinks with someone. And after asking what I did for work, they said, oh, HR sucks. And as a young 21 year old, I was really upset and taken aback by this because I thought, well, hang on a second. (laughs) I think HR is amazing and look at all the impact we do. And, you know, it started off this debate. But the other thing that it did was made me question why? Why did he think HR? sucked so bad and it made me go out and have conversations to discover what the general perception is and now based on over a decade of conversations with friends, family, colleagues and now entrepreneurs in my extended network, I do think we're faced with a bit of a PR nightmare I think most people that I speak to about HR think that it's hiring, firing, boring compliance training and the, you know, parents that we're sent to when something needs to be fixed or when we're in trouble. And there's this general perception that we're fun averse rule loving people who are a little unapproachable and aren't very relatable. And I think the most common and troubling narratives that I have heard over the years is that HR is in the pocket of the company, that we're all for the business and not for the people. And You know, we can sit here and roll our eyes and maybe have a bit of a giggle because for the most part, we know that's not true. We know the impact that we make and the work that we do is incredibly important. But I've discovered that the challenge this perception creates, however much we disagree with it, is that our people don't trust us. And when that happens, it makes what we want to achieve so much harder. Uh, But I believe that all perception is anchored in reality. And so when we think about our people, aka our payroll, it's one of the largest costs to our business. So the question that I always ask is, does it not make smart, strategic, commercial sense to manage this cost efficiently? and effectively as we possibly can. And without that trust, that's just inefficient business. So in my experience, in the work that I do and throughout my career, when we get this right, people are proactively telling us things that we need to know. And for example, we're able to stop them walking out the door because we know about their challenges and we have the chance to either resolve them or manage them and our retention is stronger. The uptake of our initiatives is fantastic because our people believe in us and they believe in the work that we do. They're excited by the things that we bring to the table in support of them and in support of the business. And yes, we're working hard, but our impact is that much higher because we are working in partnership with our people versus consistently trying to pull teeth, for lack of a better phrase.
0: Do you think the image issue that HR has always had? And I'm curious too, like is it just employees that feel this way? Like it's they're in the pocket of employers, but I, I feel like leaders feel the same way mm. about HR and HR then becomes on this little island by themselves in this function. Is the image issue a product of the function itself like we need to redesign what hr does or is it the type of person like the personality that's in hr i'm from your perspective what is it is it both of those things is it all like hmm. i'm curious
1: i believe it's the historical place that hr has typically had within the business. And what we expect from our people has, of course, changed and evolved over the decades. And there are many that have kept pace with that and are doing incredible things. I know some amazing workplaces, HR professionals and business leaders who really do have incredible workplaces. And then you have the others that have maybe lagged behind. And I don't believe that's because they don't care. I believe that like many functions, we're often under-resourced and we lack the time to really sit and think and innovate how we do what we do. And I find that a lot of people are chasing their tail and it's much easier to continue doing what we're doing, even if it's inefficient and ineffective, than it is to redesign the experience. And so I believe it's not necessarily the people. I believe it's how we approach the work that we do. And so the work that I now do after my decade within the hospitality and tech industries is looking at how can we redesign the experience so that we can achieve so much more with the time that we have.
0: And that's the thing about HR is the function itself spans a lot of different roles, policies and creating handbooks and processes. And then you've got this what would be a nice to have is redesigning an employee experience, the stuff that you're talking about. That's the strategic work that I think HR can be really good at, but they don't have the time. And I know you're talking about under-resourced, understaffed, and as far as HR, when do they get a chance to even work on things like that?
1: Mm. So this is where I would ask the question: What do you lose by not investing time into this? We know that all the strategy J's and the high-level thinking that we do as a business and as an HR team and as leadership teams, we know how powerful that can be, and so. I believe it's about reprioritizing the importance. So when we look at the employee experience, we may not think it's a high priority, but what is happening without that? What is your attrition levels like? What is your uptake of, some of the policies, procedures, and experiences that you're creating. What is your culture like? How do the work that you do, how does that support the commerciality of the business? And if that's not where you want to be, then to be a little bit brutal, I would suggest maybe you're focusing your attention on the wrong areas of the business and that we need to look at something else and try something different.
0: Do you think most HR professionals, because of their, whether it's their background, their education, and they come in, work for a corporation and there's so many rules and policies in place and they're, they become so focused on that. Like the day-to-day, like rewriting policies and the handbook and what that says. And I feel like they get stuck working on those things and then they never get freed up to work on the experience. The things that really matter when it comes to like attracting and retaining people and creating a great work environment. I just don't feel like the emphasis is there.
1: Absolutely. And I totally get that because I have been there too. And so to make it feel a little bit more approachable and attainable, I would recommend breaking it down into bite-sized chunks. So you definitely don't need to, and I would recommend you probably shouldn't redesign your entire employee experience all in one go that would take you years (laughs) so identifying those moments that matter along the employee journey highlighting what is most important and so for example i often find that onboarding experience to be one of the most critical perhaps we focus our attention there first the policies and the procedures that we have in place are important But if we're leading the experience with that, in effect, I believe we're telling our people that we don't trust you. As soon as you walk through the door, here are 10 plus policies that I'm going to force you to read because we want you to behave the way that we believe is right. Now, don't get me wrong. Most of these, if not all of these policies, are actually very important. But I believe that if we can redesign how we communicate the policies, look at how they're embedded in the culture and support the culture, then that is arguably a more profound and powerful way to achieve what we want to achieve. Because I think we can all agree that when our people read these policies, They either A, never read it again, or B, forget it because they're dry, they're long, and we're not doing anything to embed that information throughout other points of the employee experience. So if we're able to proactively develop our culture and set our behavioral expectations and lead by example, I think that's a different way of enforcing our policies and procedures than simply having them there as something to read and maybe having a annual compliance check.
0: It always felt like to me, like policies should like sit in the background. To your point, like they're, they're necessary because the law matters, but imagine like, an employee starts their first day and part of their onboarding experience is to get immersed in the, the cultural values of the organization. So like, here's our core values, here's how we behave and we treat each other. Like that's more philosophically driven versus policy driven. And to me, that's empowering because now you're treating people like adults instead of like children. When we create rules and, and force feed 10, 20 policies on on the first day, what kind of signal is that sending employees?
1: Absolutely. People want to feel autonomous and they want to feel like they are in somewhat control of their own work and their own destiny. And so part of looking at your employee experience and culture is looking at human-centered design, at neuroscience, at human behavior, and using that information to help you decide on how to roll out some of these things. And this example of enabling and empowering versus enforcing was something that I had always thought about in the workplace, but that also hit home when I had my son. And I'll share a quick story that made me truly, genuinely realize the power that it had. My son, he's two years old, and over the last six months, he is wanting to pick up everything, including things that break, of course. And so for a while there, I was always saying, oh, don't touch that, put that down, give that to me, be careful, uh, two hands. And it was exhausting. <laughs> I was exhausted.
0: Yeah, saying saying no all the time and following your son around is probably oh, a nightmare. I, I
1: felt awful as well. I just did not feel like I was doing the best mumming that I could do. And so what I did one day was I changed the words and the approach that i was using i said great job charlie two hands strong hands and walk that over there and put it on the table he has not dropped one single thing or broken one single thing and that i think was a powerful lesson in how i can empower and enable versus inhibit
0: i mean that's a beautiful example because that tells me in the workplace we need to be clear concise, say what we actually mean, and give clear direction. And when you have those agreements in place, works a lot better. And people usually don't let you down.
1: Absolutely. In my experience, I have found that people want to do a good job. People want to be there. They want to help the business. It's the business that I think sometimes perhaps doesn't truly really believe that. Like throughout my work, people, if you're, you've got the structure in place and yes, we do need some structure, some guidelines and some boundaries. I think we all tend to work well when we've got those, but how we get to where we want to go, that is where we've got so much room to play. And when we have, for example, confidential or high risk things that happen in a business, like an acquisition and a merger, I have found that businesses tend to shut down and go quiet and we don't want to share information or even bring our leaders into the conversation and we do things hush hush and that creates a culture of worry, anxiety, distrust, whereas The situations where we share the relevant, appropriate information in a really timely matter, when we trust our leaders and involve them in the conversation to help us roll out the changes and we empower them with that knowledge, those are the examples of when we can get some of those really big, meaty changes rolled out successfully.
0: I think that's the hardest thing about hr is when they don't have influence over the leaders it's kind of hard to make change happen and i think that's the hard work of hr right is to to build relationships to build rapport and to not sit on that island because they're going to still have the same image problem if they can't get stuff done so what do you recommend as far as making change across an organization where it requires managers and leaders to buy in and to collaborate
1: One of the difficulties with this is that it takes time because to roll out change like this and for your leaders to trust you and help you, you need to invest time and energy into them. Why would they trust you without that? So in my experience, it's never too early to start setting up stakeholder meetings and asking them what they need, asking them what challenges they're facing. How can I help you? You may not be able to help with everything, but you can certainly help with something. Definitely always, and that is a great place to start. And so, throughout my work, I recommend multiple regular and consistent stakeholder meetings so that you can stay in touch and stay connected. And then, when you get to a time where you want to ask your leaders to do something for you, they're going to do it because they want to, not because they have to. And that is a really powerful difference there because the effort that that they're going to put in is going to be so much more. They're going to be able to A, have the want, then the capability and the confidence to share your message and to bring people in on the change and effectively manage that change
0: well. So you do a lot of work in the employee experience space. So you're out helping organizations create a better employee experience. You're probably giving leaders the tools to, to be able to do that themselves, right? So from your perspective, what are some of the things that move the needle on employee experience? Like, even if there's some actionable things that leaders who are listening to this podcast or HR people who are like, I've tried everything, but maybe, maybe there's a few things they haven't tried to you know, increase the employee experience. What are those things?
1: Do you know what, Brandon? I'm going to give you a classic HR answer and I'm going to say it depends.
0: It depends. Yeah, I knew it.
1: So what I will say, though, is that the things that move the needle are the things that you discover when you intentionally look at your employee journey. So as a really high-level example, and I'm sure listeners will have heard about this before, it's not rocket science, we look at the key moments that matter along the journey. So you've got when someone first discovers your brand and that recruitment experience, then you've got your onboarding experience, then you've got the experience around talent development, then your reward and recognition and your exit experience and so on. There's a few more, but let's just stay with that for an example. Then, once you've discovered that, look at what you're doing under each of those points to bring that to life. And some there may be more, and some there may be lacking. And so, what you need to decide is what are the priorities, because we certainly can't do it all. To understand your priorities, you need to speak with your people. So, we talk about HR being on an island, we will have an indicator of what we should have an indicator of what is a priority and what's important. But I have found there is such power in having conversations with our people and really casual ones. We talk about the water cooler chit chat being a waste of time. I think those are some of the most powerful places to have conversations where people perhaps cannot connect one challenge or experience they're having with reward and recognition but using our expertise we can connect the dots and we can now look at that point on the experience timeline and say okay I think we need to do some work here and it may not be directly impacted but it will eventually make an impact when you ask about tangible things that listeners can do i would start by actually stepping one step backwards and looking at the landscape and the bigger picture before diving into specific areas that we want to focus our attention on
0: yeah i like that idea of mapping out the journey the whole the whole thing and then seeing what you're doing as an organization or, or not doing it at all or doing well and then probably ask the questions of like could we do better you know is does the experience need to improve like what and then ask problem statements to ho- help direct the the future work that you know hr can do and you know along with leaders
1: absolutely and that bigger picture perspective allows you to not be distracted by shiny things and to create the space for innovation and agility when curveballs get thrown our way but to be really anchored in our vision and our mission and that, have that steady course and to remain stable is powerful.
0: What do you think like one of the biggest problems or challenges that it's facing HR right now and in the, in the profession, what are the hurdles to, that they need to get through right now?
1: I believe that after the last few years that we have had, it's about now keeping up with the changes that the world is making. And rather than resisting those, enabling them. It is clear that people are wanting and needing a different way of working and that it actually can work, that it is profitable, that people are more productive. Of course, there are some challenges. And so I believe one of the areas that we need and want to focus our attention on is the employee experience. How can we create environments for connection and collaboration when people are working remotely. It can be done. I believe need to talk with our people. We need to keep up with industry ch- trends, share information among our companies and work together on how we can rise as a collective. I think that's the number one challenge. And rather than sharing a few more that I have on mind, I'm going to stay with that because that's a big one <laughs> and I don't want it to feel overwhelming.
0: What do you look at, you know, especially when you've transformed the experience for an organization, what kind of indicators are you looking at to know if it's successful or not?
1: There is a few. So in the work that I do, I always look at the current state. So we do a survey, we talk to a few people, where are things at right now? Then throughout the work, we look at that again. And then after the project delivery, we look at it. A third time, and that is where we can obviously see our progress. The middle point at which we survey and talk to people allows us to course correct if we need to, rather than going down this journey that we think is correct and then getting to the end and realizing, oh, it hasn't quite landed or we've gone down the wrong path. So I think that middle point is really important. Uh, That third point, uh, that's where we'll look at engagement, we'll look at retention, we'll look at verbatim and actual quality qualitative feedback and comments Uh, that is a little harder to judge but I still think is really powerful it's when you get the comments like well now I've been able to put things in place and delegate and my quality of life is better I'm no longer going home and crying you know that's not a number that is life Yeah, that's powerful. So those are some of the data points that we look at.
0: My favorite is like when we look at survey data and I I agree, the comments are the best because when you you hear and read comments like empowered and work-life balance and I feel safe and I love my work, it's easy for me to get out of bed every day passion. Like those are the words I always look for. And I love seeing that stuff. That means that there's something right about the workplace culture, but it's like the words like fear, toxic behavior, can't get, (laughs) can't get up out of bed in the morning to work. Like those are the kind of things that are like, okay, there's something wrong with the way the employee experiences.
1: And you listen to those words and though that first round of words that you used I got goosebumps. I got hairs on my arms that had risen. And that second round of words, I felt felt deflated and like it was a mountain to move. And where do I start? And so I totally understand that as a profession, when we're faced with a workplace that isn't where it could be, we're not reaching the potential of what could be, then I do understand how huge of a task that feels. And that's why it can be perhaps more powerful to call it and get a professional in and get some help to, what's the phrase I'm looking for, to almost do a reset and and almost start again. And I think when you're so in it, it's really hard to see a clear path out. And sometimes we need help in pulling back so that we can see the landscape and see a clear path forward.
0: We started the conversation talking about the image that HR has amongst people. Even with what you're describing, you know, about the employee experience and giving leaders tools and, you know, even people talking about their work, the way we were just talking about it, like that's what what we're aiming for. HR is always, in my opinion, behind the scenes. I really wonder if the image is going to change, regardless of like how great a work that HR is doing, because it's so behind the scenes and the leaders are probably going to get the credit. I mean, what do you hope people say about HR or think about HR in the future if you know if it all goes the way you're describing? <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> Look, before I get to your question, I want to share a short story. There was one point in my career where the company decided to combine the HR and the marketing teams. Now, as a career HR professional, I had my doubts and I was a little dubious and I thought, how's this going to play out? But honestly, it was possibly one of the best things we ever did. What it meant was that as an HR profession, so our team, we learned how to market ourselves and we learned how to market our work. The initiatives that we were putting out to the business, we did tone of voice training so that we could speak in the language that our people resonated with. We were able to prioritize not just the content of what we were creating, but how we were positioning it. And that was so powerful. As a really small example, there was a point where we were rolling out a learning and development system. Now, a lot of people will go roll their eyes and think, ugh, (laughs) training. (laughs) Does that mean more compulsory training? What we did throughout that rollout was make it fun. Let's create fun in the workplace. Is that not what it's all about? And we did popcorn. We did competitions. We did uh, group screenings. We made it an experience. We didn't just roll it out with a couple of emails and call it a day. Our uptake of that system, I mean, I have to admit, I can't quite remember the percentage, but I want to say truthfully it was roughly 89%. And I think that is incredible. That was well above the benchmarks that that company had had at the time. Then we were able to keep a certain level, not 89%, I think it dropped down to somewhere in the 60, 70%, but we were able to maintain that forevermore. And that I think is powerful. We're spending money on this system and licenses for each employee. And if they're not being used, that's money down the drain. And so from an HR perspective, from a business perspective, that's our job, right, is to make sure that we're optimizing that spend. Um, So when we look at how I would love HR to be Perceived and how perhaps we can do more impact with our work, it's incorporating elements of marketing. So we look at customer experience and we put a lot of effort into the words that we use and how we interact with our customers. It's applying those same principles to our employees. It's about leveraging storytelling, I think has been incredibly powerful. It's about humanizing the work that we do. And so, yes traditionally, HR has been behind the scenes. It's time to come in front of the camera, people. (laughs) It's time to share your voice, share your story, connect. That is how we humanize. That is how we build trust. And that is how we do what we need to do with more impact. So to come back full circle, sorry, to your original question, I would love for people to think of HR positively, to think I trust my HR team. I want to proactively go to them and reach out to them when I am in trouble. And I want to share the great things that I am experiencing. I want to have fun with these people. And okay, maybe fun. <laughs> There's always that invisible line with an HR Professional, right? Because our our title precedes us, and there's definitely an element of confidentiality. But we can always connect and have fun with our people. I always went to the after work drinks. I knew what was going on in our people's lives. I don't care if people swear in front of me, I don't care if people are talking about their love lives or their office gossip. I want to know that stuff. Part of it will not impact my job whatsoever. If I hear that someone is dating someone else and they're in different functions, I don't care about that. That's not going to impact the work. And so people were telling me things. There was always a line in the night where it was definitely time for me to leave. I don't want to see people making out. I don't want to see things untoward. And so I left at that point. And I think that was a really useful approach to take because it humanized me it made people feel like I was just another employee which I was and I am and then I left at the line of confidentiality and then they could relax if you will because I wasn't there anymore
0: yeah that's well said uh what's funny about HR people is at least the ones I know some of the most foul-mouthed people (laughs) and sense of humor like you know they know how to party they you know trucker mouths (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) HR people are great. They are real yes. people. They are employees just like you and me. They're uh, HR people are great. Well, this has been a, a fun discussion. I think that was a great way to end the show just by by talking about HR need to get in front. I like that. I, I agree with Thank you. Stop you. being in <laughs> the scenes. HR people get out front and act like a marketer because I think if you really want to make change, it takes you getting out in front. It really does. Well, Harada, thanks for coming on the podcast. What, what do you want to share in parting, point people to connect with you, anything you want to do?
1: Sure thing. So if anyone has listening and you like my voice and you like my approach to the work that we do, feel free to follow me on Instagram at third underscore space. I'm also on LinkedIn at harita McMullen. And I know Brandon, you'll share those links in the show notes. I love chatting, if you cannot already tell, and I would love for you to reach out to me and with no strings attached, simply just to evolve what we do and connect and share knowledge. Uh, I, in my work, love building up my HR specific industry network versus my clients and my founders and my entrepreneurs. So please reach out to me.
0: My guest today has been Heretta McMullen. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Brandon.
0: The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.